morning, if you would please, to the book of Ruth, chapter number one. Ruth, chapter number one. And let's go ahead and stand, please, and we're going to read the entirety of the chapter again this morning. Three weeks ago, we began to look at this beautiful story. We will not do this with every chapter, but we are going to spend several weeks in the first chapter. So Ruth chapter number one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Kilian died, also both of them. And the women was left, of, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and Where thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to the Beth- they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And let's pray. Oh, Father, please help us this morning. You are our God eternal in the heavens. We are but dust and ashes, sinful dust and ashes in our original state at the beginning. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word and that we would perhaps find ourselves, if not at this present moment in one of these spots, then in the past in one of them, and we would be attentive to you and your way of dealing with us. So please help us. Please bless the preaching of your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, we're not a classroom. It's a Sunday morning church service, and it would not be my intention to deal with this as an academic subject, but we do want to be mindful of the way that we read the narratives, the stories. They tend to be some of the most beloved parts of the Bible. They are helpful. They are easy to understand. We do want to be careful, and I will mention this several times. They are not inspired sections of something like Aesop's fable where you read the story and then you go, now the moral of the story is. Nor are they necessarily how-to manuals. Right? This is a story that will ultimately revolve around a wedding and a marriage, but it hardly functions as a handbook for young ladies. This is, these are the steps that you should follow when securing a spouse. What I want to do this morning is look at the way the story is, or Ruth chapter 1 at least, is told to us. There, there are two things that I would propose to you are helpful and instrumental in understanding what we're being directed to at this early phase of the book. The, you know, folks, a Bible story unfolds much like a human life unfolds. Um, <clears throat> what we see and experienced and expected in our perspective when we were young is impacted over the course of our lives. And it does not necessarily remain the same. And we see things differently and we see different things. And the Lord teaches us many things in the course of those years, we hope. And a Bible story is just like that. There is an unfolding to the events that are, com- that are known to us. You could read the entire book of Ruth in a half an hour. But are completely unknown to the characters at the time of the writing. It is common for old literature like this, and I would even explain, extend beyond the inspired record of the Bible, but of the old poets like Homer and his Iliad, to not just simply tell us a story, but to use the structure in which he gives the information to help us follow along with him 
as he is thinking. One of the ways that that is done is by putting the critical pieces of information kind of in the middle of an event. Technically, it tends to be called a chiasm after the Greek letter X, the intersection. And we have a little bit of that kind of a structure here. Uh, The book of Ruth begins in the first five verses by orienting us around the land of Moab. And again, without belaboring the point, Moab is, to the Israelite, enemy territory. Uh, Our brother this morning just talked to us in Sunday school about the opportunities and the challenges of ministering the gospel to a completely different group of people who are at a variety of levels hostile to the gospel story and those who would preach it. To the Israelites, Moab was not a place to be evangelized. It was a place to be avoided. They were under divine sanction. They had God's perspective on how to view the Moabites, and they were not viewed favorably. But nevertheless, they are in very close proximity There is nothing but a river separating the land of Palestine from the land of Moab, just as there is nothing separating Nebraska from Iowa apart from the Missouri River. The third geographical reference point is found at the end of the chapter in verse number 19. And beginning in verse number 19 through the end of the chapter, our geographical center point is Bethlehem, Judah. This is kind of the epicenter of devotion and godliness. We will see this, folks, in the book of Ruth, right? We know that it unfolds in the time of Judges, and one of the things we know about the time of Judges is it is characterized by widespread American independence. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But as we will see, folks, that is not true of every single individual. It is most certainly not true of Boaz. And it appears that there is a strong concentration of godliness in Bethlehem, Judah. And there are some dedicated and devoted people there, and that happens to be Naomi's hometown. One of the the more mysterious characters trying to trying to get a good grip on Naomi is, I think, a little bit of a challenge in its own right. And then in between, folks, you have where the real drama of the story unfolds. Uh, My wife and I still talk about this. Forty-plus years ago, when we were at Bible college, we went to Bible college in 1980. The, The economy in America was at a very low point. Jobs were very hard to find, and... We were fed a regular steady diet of sermons from the book of Ruth reminding us not to go to Moab, which for most Bible students was don't go back home. Stay in college, don't go back home. But the real dramatic story focal point of Ruth chapter 1 is not Moab or Bethlehem Judah. It is what goes on in between. And if you look at verse number 6, for instance, then she arose with her daughter-in-law. Now this journey, whatever, however long this journey is and however many days they take to make it, this is what occupies the centerpiece of the narrative right into verse number 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. 
So as we're reading a narrative, one of the things that we want to pay, pay attention to is, are these kinds of markers. Where are people going? And what do we know about where it is that they are going? We know, folks, we know this because God has spoken so clearly to every Israelite that it was not the wisest and best decision to go to Moab, but to Moab they went. The other thing that emerges in chapter number one, and we can see it in the English, if we were Hebrew speakers and Hebrew readers, it would really jump out of us because the word is repeated so many times in the text. But the word is a turning or a return. For instance, look at verse number six. Then she arose with her daughter and daughters-in-law that she might return. That she might return. Or verse number seven. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return. And it's repeated in verse number eight. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return. And it's found in verse number 10. And they said unto her, Surely we will return. And it's found in verse number 11. And Naomi said, Turn again, which is the exact same Hebrew word return in verse number 10. Return. And it's found in verse number 12. Turn again. Return. And it's found in verse number 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back. Same Hebrew word. Returned. Returned. Second time in verse 15. Returned thou after thy sister-in-law. And then verse number 21. I went out full and the Lord brought me home again. He returned to me. Same word. Returned. And verse number 22, so Naomi returned. So Naomi returned. So the story is told, folks, of this turning. Everybody in one way or another is turning towards something or turning away from something. The story is told in terms of turning. And then we have these three ladies. And the story is told about their turning. This again, folks, is highly unusual. And and I'm not trying to throw a bunch of symbolism upon it. But we have a story that in its beginning really revolves around these three ladies. The men are dead. Dad is dead. The sons are dead. The sons who became the husbands are dead. And there are three ladies. And they are in a series of turns. Of decision making. I think that we would all understand folks that. Although this was a long time ago and in a far away place in different languages and customs. That we can all relate to and identify with these folks. For our lives are series of decisions that are pointing us towards something or away from something. And each of these ladies 
turned in such a way that we can look at the turn they made and the direction they took and we can build upon it individually. For instance, in verse number 15, she, the she being Naomi, said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Orpah turned away from Naomi and Ruth, but in particular, Jehovah. Orpah's turn was away from the Lord. She returned to her gods, to the gods of the Moabites. And I would point out to you folks, as problematic as some of us might find that, that when Orpah turned to go back to Moab, there is no further evidence in the text that anybody ever went after her to try and recover her again. That God simply let her go. And here is, right, and we're going to balance this, folks, right? I'm, I mean, so, so don't, don't tune me out just yet because we're going to try and look at the entirety of the picture. But part of the picture, something that you must hold in your mind and heart about God is that there is a possibility that if you walk away from him, he will let you go. I'm not talking about losing your salvation kind of lets you go. The Bible speaks clearly to that. But God deals with people and God speaks to people and God talks to people. In 2 Chronicles 15, and we're working through beginning to the, in the early stages of working through the Chronicles in our Sunday night services. Looking back upon the history, because Chronicles is a, a, a recitation of Israel's history, the Lord said to Israel, now if you forsake me, I will forsake you. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah, is, Isaiah 5 is a long poem about God's attentiveness to Israel and their perpetual unwillingness to listen. Chronicles tells us that Israel's rejection reached a place to where God found no remedy. And I'm not trying to, well, maybe I am to some extent, create a godly fear in our minds, folks, but we need to understand that God speaks to people and God instructs people and God warns people and God cautions people. But it is entirely possible that when their pattern and their habit becomes rejection, resistance, argument, rebellion, that he turns away from them. Folks, we are experiencing some measure of that in our own country right now. And we know that because we're watching Romans chapter 1 bear fruit 
in our very own country. When people reached the place that they no longer wanted to retain God in their knowledge, and what is the impetus of the scientific engine of the Western world but to remove God from thought and consciousness? Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to reprobate minds. He just handed them up to their own way of thinking. And folks, when you have human thinking that is not influenced by God, it will destroy itself all on its own. Humanity, apart from God, folks, is nothing other than a cancer upon a species of creature. So here is Orpah. She never says a word in the book. She is not the central figure in the book. In this narrative segment, nobody's in Moab, nobody's in Bethlehem, Judah, everybody's on the move. She turns and she goes back home and she gets to go. And again, folks, my point of application is simply this. When we are aware that the Lord is dealing with us, and there will be times when we are aware, when we will know the Spirit's conviction, when we will feel the Lord's, when we will sense the Lord's presence, do not walk away in those times. Do not walk away in those times. But the count, one of the counters to that is verses 16 and 17, Ruth. And again, folks, I would just suggest to you that to whatever extent there might be any mystery about Orpah's walking away, there is equal mystery about Ruth's declaration of faith. Orpah walked away and God let her go. Ruth turned to God and he welcomed her. And again, folks, remember that this is a woman who is a true foreigner and alien to him. This is a nationality about which God has spoken. And verses 16 and 17 are one of the most beautiful professions of faith that you could find anywhere. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee and me. It is certainly a declaration of personal loyalty, but it is a declaration of commitment to Jehovah. Ruth turned to God, and he welcomed her. She declares her loyalty to her mother-in-law, to her mother-in-law's people, to her mother-in-law's God. Here is a woman who obviously has a heritage of worshiping other gods, Ruth 1.15. Who once again, folks, the story is showing it to you, not just in words, but in actions, who is turning in the direction of Jehovah 
who in a very real sense then, think of what she is turning her back on. She is turning her back on the gods of Moab. She is turning her back on her mother's home. She is turning her back on the Moabite culture and community. She is wholeheartedly embracing both the God and the life of a Jew. And I would add this, folks, and, and I, I'm, you know, again, this is not an academic classroom, but we need to be aware that there is some tension in the text that, that is addressed in a couple of ways. Look back at verse number eight. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go. Right? Naomi has decided, she's heard that there is bread in Israel and she is going back to her native land. And here is her advice. Go return each to, your, to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband, assuming that they will remarry. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again. Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And you know, she said, Am I going to have any more children? If I got married tonight, and if I had a baby tonight, would you wait the 15 or 20 years until that child had matured? No. No, the best thing. And then she adds this in verse number 13. For it grieveth me much that for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now there are some people who argue that what Naomi is really doing here is trying to encourage the girls to go with her. But she is being very realistic about what it would entail to go with her. In other words, although she has no idea that Jesus will ever say these words, Jesus said you need to count the cost. And that what Ruth here is doing is encouraging them to count the cost. I'm not sure that's what's really going on. I think what's going on is more accurately reflected in verse number 13, folks. In other words, in Naomi, and we'll come to Naomi in a moment. Naomi is, in my estimation, pretty characteristic of most of Jehovah's followers. Is it not at all ironic to you folks? Here's Naomi. Verse number 8. The Lord deal kindly with you. Verse number 9. The Lord grant you. Verse number 13. But the Lord doesn't like me. The Lord would be very good to you. But he hasn't been very good to me. Now all I'm saying folks is this. 
Would you put that into the category of a ringing evangelistic endorsement? Come to Jehovah and see how bad your life can be. This has been many, many years ago. In fact, it was probably 1992, and I don't remember dates very well, but that's probably about when it was. And we had a family in the church, and they were really wonderful people, but he was just a miserable man. And he was just miserable in the church. He just, and, and, and then he, he, he just was. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to beat the guy up, but I mean, I spent a week in a boat with him in Canada and fit, trying to fish, and he spent the whole week telling me how much he hated the church. That's what every pastor wants, right? This is, every pastor gets out of bed and says, now what I'd really like today is eight hours locked in a confined space with somebody who just tells me how bad the church is. But you need to come to Jesus anyway. Orpah walked away and God let her go and Ruth came and God welcomed her. And folks, if you will come, if you will come, you will be received. Seek the Lord while he may be found and if you can find him, you will be received. And I don't mean, he's not hiding. Deuteronomy 8, by the way, is very clear about that. It's quoted in the New Testament that the Lord is not making this tricky or complicated. He's not playing cat and mouse games with people. Here it is. Everybody needs a Savior. Christ is that Savior. Call upon Him. Receive Him. And you will be saved. That's the truth. And if you will come, you will be welcomed. And then thirdly, there is Naomi. There is Naomi. There are in this world, folks, people like Orpah who will turn and walk away and God will not compel anybody against their will. There are people in this world like Ruth who will come and God will welcome them. And there are people like Naomi who is a true believer, folks. Don't ever question that. We're going to deal with this a little bit later. We have, we have a, a terrible tendency to find sin and sensuality in the book of Ruth that isn't there. And it's really a discredit to the book of Ruth and its narration and particularly the characters involved to ascribe to them some kind of sinister conduct. Naomi is a true believer. To what extent she has willingly gone to Moab, we will not know in this life. What we do know, what God has told us, is that her experience in Moab colored her view of the Lord. I went out full. I came back empty. The Lord is against me. And folks, there are no shortage of people 
who believe that that is the way their relationship with God really is. That God is against them. In spite of all of his kind assurances that he is not against us, in spite of all of his words to us that remind us that he is a father who is raising children, So he's not saying for a moment that every day is puppy dogs and rainbows. He's saying when he disciplines, it is chastisement and love. I have a two-year-old granddaughter who can be a, bit, a little bit of a handful. She didn't get that from my side of the family, but that's, <clears throat> that's the story that we're going with. So when she wants her mother's attention or her father's attention, she will scream loudly. And the longer it takes to get attention, the more screaming she does. And then when her parents, in weariness with the screaming, begin to approach her, she immediately sits down on her bottom because she knows what's coming next. (laughs) Two years old. My wife and I think this is delightful. Some of you have seen our youngest daughter's post of that very same little girl throwing a temper tantrum at family photos. And our daughter's note, fun fact, I did the same thing when I was two. Here's my fun fact. Yes, and that's one of a number of times we wanted to take you back to the hospital and get a refund. (laughs) It's not the same thing as being hostile. But nevertheless, I digress there. The story in Ruth is this. When she came back, the Lord took her back. The Lord took her back. When she returned, she was welcomed. And as we've already noted, folks, several weeks ago, what begins to happen now in the book of Ruth right, is that in every episode, Ruth will get some attention. And I don't mean in an egomaniacal way. I mean it's like God going, look Ruth, here's your perspective. Right? You think I'm out to get you. You say my hand is against you. You say you went out full, which is questionable, and you came back empty, which is equally questionable. Now let me show you what I really am like and how I really conduct myself. One of the ways that this word is translated, this word return, turn again, turn back, is a word that we use all the time, folks. It's actually an Old Testament word. It's the word backslider, somebody who has turned away. There are Orpahs who walk away from God and he lets him go. And there are Ruths, those that were alienated but come to the Lord and he welcomes them. And they're Naomi's, God's people. God's people who for some reason or another turn away and yet turn back and they are received because the Lord is gracious and forgiving. And folks, if your perspective is that God is out to get you, you need to have your thinking and your perspective altered by the scriptures because it's just not true. It is just not true. And if you are thinking that 
perhaps you're not good enough to be saved or perhaps you're good enough as you are that you don't need to be saved. God will save you if you will come. If you will call upon his Savior, you will save you. If you're committed to turn your back and walk away and be done with it, he might just let you go. Don't do that lightly. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your graciousness and your mercy, and above all, we thank you for your long-suffering patience with us. Father, how it must grieve you that so often your own children think of you as mean, spiteful, hateful. Thank you that this is not true. Thank you that you are slow to anger and filled with great compassion and working in the best interest of your people, all while bringing yourself maximum glory. Turn our hearts that way, please. Turn us to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.